Welcome to the Men's Health Unscripted Podcast with Patrick and Cam. We're focused on everything on men's health, looking at your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual well-being. You're going to take care of that and make sure you keep on going. What's going on, guys? It's Pat and Cam, and we're here with a very informative guest, Dr. Tracy Gappin. Dr. Gappin is a board-certified urologist, world-renowned men's health and performance expert, and best-selling author. He also has over 20 years' experience focused on men's health, men's wellness, and just making us all around better. So, Dr. Gappin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, hey, how are you doing? So yeah, I'm good. Glad to be with you guys again. Yeah. Yeah, I we're think... glad to have you back on here. Hell yeah, man. So, a lot's happened since we last had you on. I think it was episode 47. We're approach. We're over 100 now. Um, so, we're just, we're really happy to have you now with this new audience and to awesome. like really find out about the mystery of the declining testosterone in men. I think uh, I saw a TEDx that you did that testosterone levels have been declining over the last 20 or so years. So let's just dive right in and get right in it. Um, What's up with the the missing testosterone? Yeah, absolutely. It's a big problem. So we have, uh, let's lay the groundwork here. So we have three longitudinal studies, published studies. One was here in the US, Mel, Massachusetts, Asian study. One was in Sweden and one was in Finland. And all three of these studies showed the exact same thing. And that is what you just mentioned, a massive decline in testosterone levels worldwide to the tune of about 30 to 40% lower. So when you look at studies that look at free testosterone, which is the bioavailable active form of testosterone, the U.S. studies show that it's down by 45% over the last 20 years. So what that means is for a 50-year-old guy today, his free testosterone level is about almost half of what a 50-year-old guy had 20 years ago. And so this is not just as we age year after year after year, our levels drop slightly, about 1% or so. It's that we're seeing a massive decline at a population level. And it's not just about sex. It's not just about building muscle or looking good. You know, testosterone is important for mood, for cognitive function, for focus, for concentration. I had a client in here an hour ago he was crying because he's a shell of himself. And he was saying how he just wants to feel like himself again and be able to provide for his family. And he can't because his mind is, is gone because he can't even think or focus at work. It affects your ability to, to burn fat. Your, uh, it affects your metabolism, energy systems. It affects your lipid numbers. You know, Studies show that men with low testosterone have markedly increased LDL numbers and about a 30% increased risk in cardiovascular disease that goes along with that as well. So it's a big problem. And unfortunately, it just doesn't get nearly enough attention that it needs. I think the stigma as well around testosterone and the use of it and things like that really has to hinder and kind of hurt the the information available for people. Because a lot of times when you hear about testosterone therapy, you think of like steroid usage, you know, muscular kind of um, athletes and things like that, but it's not what right. it is. It's, you know, it's a hormone we all make naturally. And as you said, it does play a huge hand in like everything our bodies do homeostasis wise. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's definitely got a bad rap where these bodybuilders are, are, are taking testosterone from the black market. And I want to be clear, when we're talking about, about getting testosterone levels up to where they need to be. Bodybuilders may get testosterone levels up to like 15,000. We're talking about getting yeah. total testosterone maybe up to 1,000, 1,500. Yeah, that is insane. So we're not talking about the same thing as, you know, when you think of like what you just mentioned, the stereotypical bodybuilder. We're talking about helping a man just simply be a man again. 
Yeah, I think, you know, just to build off what Cam said, um, the steroid era in baseball probably really exacerbated a lot of it. And you had like Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, all these guys looking jacked to the gills where before baseball players were moderately sized, even power hitters. So, but just kind of moving on to the next part of that question is, what would you say is a huge contributing factor or multiple contributing factors to the decrease in testosterone over time? We have plastics now, we have all kinds of stuff. And I know looking back at somebody like my grandfather, World War II vet, that dude was strong until he was in his 90s. And I think that older dudes, if you can just kind of tell, they're they were kind of built different. And I guess for lack of a better term, maybe seemingly less fragile. So what were they doing that we're not doing or that you noticed? Yeah, there are studies that clearly show a correlation between toxins in our environment and low testosterone. And I think that's really the biggest culprit. So we can look at our foods and how much of our food crops are sprayed with chemicals, herbicides like atrazine or glyphosate. Studies clearly show that these chemicals have an estrogenic castrating effect on men animal studies, human studies. We can look at our drinking water. Our drinking water is laden with chemicals, specifically oral birth control. You know, women's synthetic estrogen that's used for birth control does not get filtered properly through our water treatment plants. We end up drinking it. And it has an estrogenic effect and it blocks testosterone from functioning and it turns off testosterone production. We can look at personal care products, laundry detergent, Soap, shampoo, deodorant, sunscreen. It's everywhere. And it's scary when you start to realize that everywhere you look around you, there are chemicals or toxins that are in some way or another affecting hormone function, especially testosterone for men. That is kind of like insane. I've I've not heard of some of that. Like I didn't even think about like the drinking water aspect because a lot of times yeah. Uh, especially in, you know, any kind of scientific community, when you start talking about water, they always bring up like plastics and some people go into the fluoride thing. Oh, yeah. um, but you, I didn't even thought about that, like estrogen and other kind of natural kind of hormones present in the, in the systems that aren't being filtered out because obviously the cost of trying to filter some of that stuff out would be astronomical as compared to yeah, not worrying about it, obviously. Um, so there's studies, so they show, is there like a high level of it or like what's what yeah. kind of level are we looking for? Yeah. So they found massively elevated levels of uh, now we're talking, I want to be clear, synthetic estrogen. So we're not ta- even talking about like natural, you know, uh, our, our biologic uh, hormones. We're talking about synthetic estrogen. And it's because women, when they take birth control, it, they they pee it out. It gets filtered through the kidneys and um, and it's a molecule that our municipal treatment plants can't filter very well. And so that's why if you were to test your drinking water, it's very high detectable levels in your water. And so the way to avoid it is to simply filter your water. And you can use a carbon block filter. You can use reverse osmosis. It doesn't work quite as well. But um, all the chemicals in your water, and yes, there's a lot of plastics you're talking about as well, um, they they need to be filtered. And so that's why I, I walk around with everywhere I go. I have a, a stainless steel water bottle with filtered water um, that I drink. And so it, it's, you know, I don't want to harp too much on toxins, but I just want to emphasize that it's it's about putting all the pieces together and making all the micro decisions you make every day. They're going to add up and really have ultimately a real effect. 
And a lot of guys, it's a matter of awareness first and then making all those little changes they need to make in their daily life. Yeah, it's interesting that you're talking about the the estrogen in the drinking water because I read uh, an article. We're in Tampa Bay, so we're close by Dr. Gappin, but there was actually fish tested. They had high levels of antibiotics in them and yeah. not farmed fish that are getting fed antibiotics. I think they had blood pressure medicines to the tune of lisinopril and lasartan and a couple other uh, pharmaceutical agents that were actually in the fish. And yeah. I know from just documentaries and things that fish tissue really holds medication and things really well, oddly enough. And so I could imagine what effect that is having on people who are even eating the fish. They're getting these agents in their body and what the fish are intaking as far as, I mean, I guess they, I don't know if fish drink water, but you know, that's kind of the thing. I mean, they're surrounded by all these chemicals and toxins. Yeah. There was actually a study I saw a couple of years ago that they found massive levels of chemicals in the fish and whales up in the Arctic circle. Wow. So I believe it that you're seeing that here in near Tampa Bay. Yeah. Interesting. It makes me, it makes me kind of wonder like off topic here, off kind of tangent. Um, what, uh, like what information are manufacturers using to kind of study the decay and the breakdown of medications? Because obviously when they produce this stuff, they have expiration dates based on like how much is left after, you know, four years or however long expiration is. So I wonder like how was some of this stuff being present at such higher levels when, you know, we have to toss a bottle out every year just because we've opened it to oxygen. Like it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So so I know you have the Gap in Institute of High Performance Medicine, and uh, you've discussed precision medicine previously on the podcast, yeah. but let's revisit it. What exactly is precision sure. medicine and how are you using this to develop treatment plans for guys? Yeah, sure. So when I see the entrepreneurs and executives come through here, they're the they're the 45-year-old, 50-year-old guy who is hitting that same wall that every guy hits. It's Suddenly, I don't have the energy I used to have. I don't have the mental focus and clarity I used to have. I can't think quite as clearly. My concentration isn't quite there. I'm tired. I'm not depressed. But I just don't feel like myself anymore. Um, I want to be the best version of myself again. I want to be my best again. I want to burn that belly fat that I can't seem to get rid of. I'm about 10, 20, 30 pounds overweight. Um, I'm stressed out from work. I'm stressed out from dealing with the kids and not having time for myself. I have no work-life balance. I'm grinding hard. I'm worried about the finances. I'm worried about the kids. I'm worried about this and that. Um, my wife thinks I'm cheating on her because I'm just not interested in sex anymore lately. I don't really know why. And when I do perform, it's just not like it used to be. That's like the typical story that I hear every day, just some very, you know, slight variation or, or another. And yes, a big part of that's testosterone, but the key is, is it's so much more than that as well. So we have over 50 hormones in our body and testosterone gets all the attention. We started with testosterone, of course, <laughs> right. like most men's health conversations do rightfully. <laughs> so that's, that's cool. But I think it's important to recognize that we have over 50 hormones that all kind of come together as a confluence, as a symphony, if you will, that ultimately have an effect. And so when it comes to helping guys have more energy and focus, burn fat, build muscle, have better sex and just live longer, you have to go beyond testosterone. You have to recognize that you have to address all those hormones and um, and fine tune and tweak based on the individual. We have to recognize that it's not just hormones either. It's blood sugar regulation. It's micronutrient levels. It's gut health. Man, the gut controls everything. The gut controls our hormone production. It controls 
our metabolism. It controls energy, our neurotransmitters in our brain. It controls our immune system. Nearly everything is in some way or another controlled by the gut. And so focusing on cleaning up the gut and, and most guys don't have any gut symptoms, but most guys have issues with microbiome, balance of the good, healthy bugs, balance of, of the, the, the gut integrity and the lining and the immune system around the gut that all plays this massive role. Stress, you know, we are, men are, we're simple creatures, but we're grinders mm-hmm. and we will bottle up that stress and we will deny ever having any stress in our life to the end of the world. I'm not stressed. I'm fine. I could deal with it. Every guy says the same thing. And I'll say bullshit. We're all affected <laughs> by stress. We just don't want to acknowledge it or admit it, but we all do. Yep. And that stress produces cortisol. Whether we want to admit it or not, that cortisol is crushing hormone production. It's making us store fat. It's destroying the gut lining. It's affecting neurotransmitters that go to our brain. And so it's putting all these pieces together is where we find the success that guys are looking for. And so to answer your question, precision medicine, it's about doing the advanced diagnostic testing to find the problems, find the blind spots, taking a very individualized approach, realizing that one size fails all and that there's no magic bullet for everybody. And number three, you got to pair that, you know, all the amazing molecules I can prescribe for you. You have to pair that with a precision lifestyle where you're making all the right choices at home so that you can see the best success that you're looking for. And that's really how we're, how we're winning is putting all those pieces together to see those results. So something we haven't like quite talked about yet, but I know is a huge factor is sleep. And I know that those nights that you, I think, I think I read somewhere that a a bad night's sleep can cost you about 50% testosterone for that day or something like that. Right. So, yeah. So as much as, as much as guys say like, Oh, I don't need sleep. I sleep when I die. I don't think that's really true. (laughs) And then, you know, personally, I really value a high, a high quality night's sleep. I know after getting out of pharmacy school, I sleep, you know, six to eight hours a night and it feels awesome. And I know when we were in school a lot less. So, you know, what are some ways that, that we can optimize our sleep just to help, you know, increase the testosterone. I know that's while we sleep, you get the most growth hormone, you get the most T going. So that's, that's gotta be a huge factor in, in what you're doing. Yeah, I'm glad you're emphasizing this because it is definitely um, underappreciated and most guys will sacrifice sleep for the sake of insert anything here. And so I think it's important to to honor that. And uh, you know, I think back, Patrick, like what you just said, I think back to my residency and my internship where I go like like days at a time with no sleep at all. And you just kind of you, you somehow survive, but you're killing yourself. And studies show that it's correlated with cardiovascular disease and obesity and autoimmune disease and um, and all kinds of other problems. And so um, it's really critical to pay attention to it. And it starts with making the right decisions every night. And so we talk about the term sleep hygiene, and that really means in essence, what the hell are you doing at night before you go to bed? You know, what are you doing in those last three hours before you go to bed? And it comes down to setting yourself up for success by preparing your mind and body for sleep. And so what I like to recommend is for three hours before bedtime, you're not eating or drinking anything. You're off your devices. So no blue light coming from your phone, no blue light coming from your iPad, your tablet, your laptop. Um, Blue light blocking glasses are great, but they're not 100%. They don't 100% block out the, the rays. Um, for the last hour before bed, I like to say that there are a, a few things that you can do. You can read, 
You can journal. You can meditate. You can do the sauna, which is amazing for sleep. Or you can have sex. Those are great options, right? For that last hour before you go to bed. And all those things are going to help calm your mind and body down to be able to get in that relaxed state for sleep. A lot of guys will stay up till 12, 30, 1 o'clock working on the laptop, turn off and lay down in bed, go to bed and they'll fall asleep. But then classic case is 2, 30, 3 o'clock. I wake up in the morning and can't fall back asleep again. I hear that all the time. And that is cortisol driven. That's stress driven. That is um, that is behavioral in most cases. Yeah, like talking like sleep hygiene is always a good thing. It's definitely whenever I would talk to my patients, a big thing I would kind of preach to them because a lot of times as you're counseling through them or talking to them today, they're telling you a whole bunch of these flags like you'd mentioned. Um, but unfortunately, obviously, it doesn't fit everybody. So for myself, being a nuclear pharmacist, uh, we're based our hours are based on the half-life of the drugs we're making. And that's very early. So like my sleep, especially right now, is terrible. So like I work, I go to work at like 10 p.m. I'm there till like 7 a.m. And then, you know, I try to crash sleep throughout the day and it makes it very difficult. So like obviously this kind of stuff can't fit for everybody in the same the same suit. Um, but it's still stuff you can take parts from and still incorporate it into your 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 now, your newer day. So um, especially with like the devices and stuff, you're coming home from work maybe listen to some, you know, easier music, things like that. When you do get home, don't obviously start right. Like you mentioned before, don't start right back on your laptop, on your devices and things like that, and still kind of set your hours to wind down. But yeah. I can definitely understand and appreciate the difficulty it is on that time change. Yeah, for sure. The other thing that that I think is worth bringing up here in, the, in this conversation, Cam, would be EMF. So uh, everyone should be aware that EMF coming from things like, um, like Bluetooth AirPods, for example, even EMF coming from your phone can have a real effect on neurotransmitters, hormone production, inflammation, immune system, et cetera, as well. And so um, one of the things I'd emphasize is to be sure you're not using those devices, especially the AirPods. You should never be wearing them. Wear a corded headphone only, but especially at night, keep those away from your head, keep your phone away from your head. And I would encourage guys to not have their phone on their nightstand, or if they do make sure it's in airplane mode with no Wi-Fi. Some people actually advocate, uh, this is aggressive, but some people advocate actually turning off your router in the evening so that there's no Wi-Fi running in your house because of the effect that the Wi-Fi can have on you as well. well that's interesting. I haven't yeah. heard that one. Yeah. So we're discussing kind of holistic things to do for guys to improve their health, right? So what are some other holistic you know, avenues that guys can take before we kind of start seeing more procedures, more prescribing? Yeah. I think that we see kind of like, we'll go, there's an, an, a range of testosterone that's, I've read a lot about this over the years, just being a men's health guy. And it seems like it's kind of wacky, right? Like it's like three, two, 300 to 800, something like that, which seems like any other blood test you get, the range is a lot smaller. So what are some holistic things maybe guys can do to raise that level? Can you take it from, if you have somebody come in, can you take it from a 300 to a thousand? I mean, what are we dealing with here? Sure. Yeah. Good questions. So first of all, what are some natural things that you can do to boost testosterone? So um, one of the the big ones people talk about is, is uh, resistance training, strength training. And it's important that, that, that we emphasize, we're not talking about doing curls or doing the, the, you know, the, the small muscles. We're talking about big muscles. We're talking about quad hamstring, back, core, those big muscles. 
heavy heavy weight strength training, not to the point where you're getting injured, but heavy resistance training is one of the best ways that you can improve your testosterone levels. Sleep, we just mentioned optimizing the quality of your sleep. And, and when I am when I say quality, I just want to point out that we're not talking about just seven hours, seven and a half hours of duration. We're talking about the quality, meaning that how much REM sleep are you getting? How much uh, stage four non-REM deep sleep are you getting? Um, and you only can, can know that by tracking it. And so um, we want to aim for an hour of deep sleep, two hours of REM sleep to know we're getting enough good quality sleep. Um, micronutrient levels. We want to make sure we're getting a, enough key micronutrients. You know, things like the B vitamins and zinc and magnesium and selenium are some of the key mi uh, multivitamins when it comes to, uh, or excuse me, micronutrients uh, when it comes to supporting normal testosterone function. We want to be sure you're getting enough healthy fats as well. You know, cholesterol is uh, the the foundation of all steroid hormones, the, the biochemical uh, pathway. It all starts with cholesterol, then pregnenolone, and then you, you make DHEA, which is then the precursor to testosterone. So um, dietary cholesterol doesn't tend to affect systemic cholesterol for the most part. But if you are severely limiting on a very, very low fat diet, it certainly can affect uh, that substrate that's available for testosterone production. Um, stress. We mentioned earlier how devastating stress can be. Stress can definitely affect testosterone levels. And so working on um, creating balance in your life, reducing stress, and that may come through mindfulness practices, meditation, uh, journaling, um, you know, focusing on on balancing your life. What is what is your what is your happy space? What do you enjoy doing? And are you creating time in your life to do that? A lot of guys, they say, I like to work. Well, yeah, yeah, we like to build a business and work and make money. I, I get it. But what do you really love to do? And are you actually finding time in your life? Are you creating, intentionally carving out time to actually do those things you love to help bring down that sympathetic tone? Because cortisol directly crushes testosterone. All right. So those are all some basic free ways that everyone can boost testosterone, but more to answer your second question now is how much can we expect to get from that? That range, I want to emphasize that that you'll see on your lab slip, the, the testosterone, the total testosterone range may be like 240 to 920 or something like you said, ridiculous. And the question is why the hell is that such a massive range? Well, the answer is it's simply the median or the average and every lab is different because every lab has done their own billion testosterone levels. And they look at the average, the median, and they look at two standard deviations statistically on either side above and below that median. Now, most lab tests are very narrow window. There's very little variability there. It is what it is, and that's where you should be. For testosterone, it's a massive range because that's the average plus or minus two standard deviations statistically. Now, I mentioned in the beginning those three studies that show a decline in testosterone over the last 20 years. This is the real key point here, that that average 20 years ago, 30 years ago, was about 50% higher. And so that range keeps dropping lower and lower and lower and lower and expanding on the bottom end of that, of that scale to the point where guys will come in and they'll have a testosterone level of 260 and they'll be they'll they'll say yeah my my primary care doctor told me that I'm normal that I'm fine that I don't qualify air quotes for testosterone and excuse my language but bullshit 
that's not normal. That's not optimal. That's not ideal. That's not where you need to be. And, and who says you don't quote qualify. And so it, that's, what's wrong with our healthcare system in part in that we're stuck in that very disease centric focus on um, those ridiculous lab ranges. And if you're in that range, then you're just quote called quote normal. And so to answer your question long about way, the natural approach is going to get you some improvement in testosterone. But it, let's say your level was 240 to begin with, and we care more about the free, but for the sake of this conversation, let's say your total was 240 to begin with. The natural approach may get you up to 450, 500. When our goal, when ideal, what's optimal is probably, or depending on the individual, depending on the free testosterone, anywhere from 1,000, 1,200, 1,500. And so that's the real problem is you can do all these great natural things, be doing everything right. And it's just simply not your fault. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, how you mentioned before, I like some of the like general prescribers, especially will kind of just be like, oh, you're in that normal range. You're good to go, even though it is on the low side of it. Um, it makes me kind of wonder. So for those who are listeners who don't know, testosterone is a controlled substance. So I wonder if there is a certain level of just, you know, prescribers being fearful of doing controlled substances for some patients. Cause I know it is, it is something that is seen with a lot of the um, narcotic prescriptions and now some stimulants as well, where the prescribers will not prescribe them. They will not take on patients for that stuff just because they don't want to be on those radars. Do you think there's a still a similar effect when it comes to testosterone therapy? Yeah, that's a good question. There's definitely fear around it. Um, you know, I spent 23 years in traditional healthcare before I, I left to launch the Gapin Institute. And um, there's definitely this this concept of um, just stay in line. Um, you do whatever insurance will allow. Um, you don't want to draw any attention, kind of thing. And and that's really all all built around um, the pharmaceutical complex, around the insurance complex that controls healthcare. And so now what I do, Kim, is I prescribe testosterone for quality of life. I prescribe testosterone to optimize it to where it needs to be so that you can have more energy and focus and clarity and be able to burn fat, build muscle, so that you can have lower cholesterol, LDL numbers specifically, so that you can have better metabolism, so that we can reduce cardiovascular risk, so that you can actually enjoy sex, and so that you can be a man again. Insurance doesn't pay for that. Insurance doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff, right? They do not give a shit about that. They they don't (laughs) want to pay for that. And so that's the problem. And so that's why I got unchained from our traditional healthcare, you know, allopathic model that's failing. And that's a big reason why right there is that every every doctor is in some form or another trapped by that system. Yeah, I can imagine we've, we've kind of explored this avenue too, where we've seen there's this huge flux of doctors actually leaving the insurance model, but yeah. You get to spend time with your patients now and no offense to the docs that are on the insurance model or anything, but you're very limited in order to be like break even or profitable. You got to be in that 10 to 12 minute window. Um, and, or uh, otherwise it's just like really difficult to maintain a practice. And I think that, I mean, we podcast for like 45 minutes to an hour and we feel like sometimes we don't get enough done. So how can you spend 10 minutes with somebody and get enough done? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're spot on there. I used to spend no lie, six minutes per patient. The, the nurse was, uh, I would have a 10 minute time slot. I had six patients an hour. 
And those first two minutes were the nurse checking them in and doing their intake stuff. And then I had six minutes and then the last two minutes were finishing up, getting them the samples, getting them their prescription, doing whatever admin stuff on the back end. And then I'm finishing my note as they're bringing the next patient. And then I got my note done within minutes so that I can you know, go to the next one. What the hell can you do in six minutes? Not anything. Not a lot. Right. It sucks. Yeah. And so I, I now spend every minute, every uh, uh, patient appointment now is an hour. It's blocked out for an hour and it's awesome. And Patients love it. I love it because we can actually have a real conversation and dive deep where we need to go. And um, it's just a very different model of healthcare that I think um, I think the time has come for. It. Shift gears, maybe pivot a little bit yeah. and talk a little bit more about peptides and hormones. I think this is something we haven't really discussed too, too much on the podcast. We've touched on it, but how important are just generally, I guess, like explain to our audience, like what are peptides? And, you know, how important are they to the function of everything else that goes on in the body? I mean, it's a kind of a different, yeah. it's relatively new comparatively to maybe hormone replacement therapy, but sure. you know, what can they do? Yeah. Perfect question. So, so first of all, what are peptides? Peptides are simply short proteins. They're nothing more than short proteins. They are a specific sequence of amino acids and, uh, any sequence that's under hundred amino acids in length is called a pro is called a peptide. Between 50 and 100 is technically a polypeptide, and then under 50 is a peptide, but nonetheless, anything under 100 is a peptide, anything greater than that's called a protein. So it's simply semantics. So a peptide is a very specific sequence of amino acids that has a very precise function. It originates, it, it, it comes from our own bodies. These are our signaling molecules that are derived from our own bodies. For example, insulin is a peptide. Growth hormone is a peptide. We can use peptides to accomplish very precise purposes. We can use peptides for reducing inflammation, whether it's in the gut, whether it's in a joint, whether it's systemic inflammation. We can use peptides to improve immune function. We can use peptides to help musculoskeletal healing and repair. We can use peptides for sleep, for energy, for growth hormone production. We use energy for um, mood, and anxiety, we use peptides for almost anything you can imagine. There are specific peptides that can help us help us achieve that goal. And I, I emphasize the word help there, Pat, because it's important to to understand that peptides are awesome. Pep, you know, I love peptides. We use a lot of peptides in our practice, and um, they're powerful, but they're not the be all end all. And a lot of guys will be. Um, will be in a very bad state, in a disease state, they're stressed, they're obese, they have issues with blood sugar regulation, they have issues with lipids, they have issues with inflammation, hormones are 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 off. And they come in looking for this magic peptide they heard about on Reddit that they want to get because they heard it's going to be the, the, the be-all end-all solution for it all. Yep. And so context is critical that yes, peptides are amazing for very specific things that, that you want to accomplish. But my analogy here is, is it's, it's your icing. It's your icing on the cake. And if you haven't baked your cake, you don't get the icing yet because it's not going to, not going to do you any good. And so it's the, the sequence matters for sure of how you approach these and, and, and what you piece together when, but peptides are a great way to augment everything else you're doing. It's not going to replace really the key fundamentals that guys need. 
Yeah, Reddit's coming in hot lately. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of internet doctors on there recently, just kind of telling people these success stories and how they should be getting it and where to get it from. With kind of a, I want to say it's not it's not really insane because be honest, it's the same thing as your neighbor. You know, as it was before the internet, you're just talking to your neighbor. Your neighbor's like, oh yeah, I tried these new pills I got from this guy down the street, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, it's similar. <laughs> it's kind of wild west right now with peptides because there are a number of online companies where you can buy them, and the problem with them is that they're not regulated there there's no fda oversight there and in fact the fda just recently this was uh, uh end of like september 23rd or so um they they came out with a, a very unfortunate position that most of the peptides that we were using they have now labeled them as category two and what that means is they cannot um comment or they cannot confirm the safety of these peptides complete bullshit Tons of studies, tons of scientific data, uh, but nonetheless, um, with this decision, most compounding pharmacies now will not make these peptides, at least not unless it's part of a clinical trial. And so that's the real answer right there is to get the peptides that that you want. It needs to be through a reputable pharmacy, and to, to get that is going to mean finding a doc who is involved in a large-scale clinical trial that, that the real peptide prescribers in this country are all... Uh, consolidating in a consortium to be able to offer that so that we can show the FDA the middle finger and say, look at our data, look how great these are, look at the outcomes so that they can hopefully reverse that position. Um, but be careful if you're out there buying it online, if, if it all if all it takes to get the peptide you're looking at is a credit card, I would be really careful because you just don't know what the hell is in that. You don't know what you're putting in your body. For sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Would you say that the this new FDA crackdown, I recently read about it too, and was yeah. kind of, I had a few different ideas. Did anything happen where some patient safety was, you know, put no. on the line or but, they just one day were like, hey, we don't know where this is being made. Compounding yeah. pharmacies doing it. So we're just going to shut it down until we figure it out. Yeah, there there are under 10 reputable compounding pharmacies in this country that do peptides under 10. Okay. Wow. And yeah. uh, most of them were that I that I'm in communication with or that I hear from or that that send out correspondence. They were most of them say they were completely blindsided by this decision, and that there was no basis, there was no reason that they can see why this decision suddenly came out. Um, did something happen we don't know about? I guess it's, it's possible, but the science is there. There's no question about it. It's, it's been around for decades. These peptides we're using are not new. Most of them have been around. They've been used for other purposes. Um, it, it's it's crazy. Thymus and Alpha, uh, back in 2020, um, when COVID first hit, um, I used Thymus and Alpha for myself personally. When I first got March of 2020, when everything was happening, I, I was one of the first to, to get sick and I had some ready to go. And it was amazing for me. I, I truly believe in the, the benefit I received from it. I share that information online. I share that on my website. I wasn't selling Thymus and Alpha. I'm not here like, hey, buy here. Here's the here's the purchase link. I'm just saying how you know the science is behind it. And FTC came and shut me down and made me maybe get rid of anything on my website, anything anywhere that mentioned Thymus and Alpha. But what do you know? A year later, suddenly the scientific data is getting published. Thymus and Alpha helps COVID symptoms. <laughs> it's it's just it's insane how we are so controlled and regulated by just getting real information out there. Yeah, I imagine um, there might be some big lobbyist working working with the FDA to kind of crush oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. So then that the yeah. companies that those big lobbyists work for can then start producing the peptides at their uh -huh. own clip. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've never, <laughs> never seen that happen before, right? 
Yeah, right. We we definitely don't see it currently happening with a certain, you know, diabetic <laughs> peptide injectable where, uh, you know, smaller pharmacies are kind of being a little hindered by it. Uh, but also like, you know, my own distrust and three letter agencies alone, um, it's kind of something we're kind of facing with uh, our nuclear side. So we do, I would consider it to be serial compounding, but it's also in the weird, weird realm of manufacturing. And the FDA is like, we don't know what the fuck to do about any of this. So we're in like a weird in between. So I kind of feel like a lot of a lot of places are going to slowly kind of be in this weird reach with the FDA where they're going to start trying to be like, oh, yeah, you guys can't do this because we don't know what the fuck is going on right now. Yeah. So I kind of understand where they're getting at with some of it. But like still, like a lot of times, like if you don't know what's going on and there hasn't been a patient issue with it, like monitor it for safety and then maybe start working on actual getting some data together for yourselves, you know. Sure. sure. But that's the government. There you go. <laughs> Interesting stuff here on the men's health unscripted podcast. So <laughs> I got to ask, like, what are some misconceptions that you've just seen working in men's health for over 20 years? I know we've heard about it on the podcast, but what do you see as, as you've been practicing your board certified urologist, a lot of education, a lot of continuing education. So what have you seen? Yeah. That one of the, the most common things I've seen uh, as re- relates to our conversation here today is Guys will have this notion that testosterone is the be-all end-all. And I, I can't tell you how many men have come to my practice. Hey, doc, I, I want testosterone. I finally got my doctor to prescribe it, and I still feel like crap. And I think it's important to put it in perspective that testosterone is going to give you a boost. You definitely, you know, every guy needs it, needs your level optimized, and you're going to certainly notice an improvement. But that's just the beginning. And I would urge guys to dig deeper and look at other hormones, look at blood sugar regulation, look at micronutrients, look at your gut, because therein lies the answer to the challenges that testosterone is not helping you overcome. Um, I mentioned it earlier that there's no magic bullet and that um, it takes putting all the pieces together. It takes advanced, you know, doing the testing and, um, you know, nothing's easy, right? Nothing, nothing in life that you'll want that's hard or that that's easy is is going to be what you're looking for. It's going to be hard. Um, but when you put the pieces together, when you understand what you need, it suddenly it makes a lot more sense. Um, the other thing I'll I'll, I'll emphasize is I'm going to come back to the stress thing again. Guys have this mentality that you got to grind. It's all about putting in the 18-hour days and you got to grind and it's the, you know, it's the Gary V approach. But that's what's wrong. I believe that there, there really needs to be an emphasis on what is your why, what's your purpose, what's important to you, and are you creating balance in your life so that you can honor that and that you can enjoy that. For me, it's my kids. You know, everything I do is for my family, for my wife, for my kids. And if I did nothing but work my ass off, so that I can make more money, make more money, make more money to be able to provide for them. What good is that if I'm not actually being there present and engaged with them and being the father that I, that I need to be? And so I would I would emphasize that guys really need to step back and make sure that they're having a, a real clear balance in their life. 
that's definitely a really good point. And a lot of stuff we've talked to some of our guests with when it comes to like fatherhood and things like that. Like yeah. there's a huge difference between providing where you're, as you said, just working your ass off all day and yeah. actually being present as a father, because that, that emotional connection, both yourself and for your family is going to mean way more than having, you know, the big house and the big TV and the vacations to the lake every weekend that you're probably working on working through anyway. Um, and it's, you know, it's definitely something we see socially uh, as those children yeah, grow up into sure. adults and like their behaviors, and their mannerisms, if they've had present fathers where they're emotionally and spiritually present, it's a lot better than just, yeah, my father was a good dad. He worked all the time and he made sure we you know, had everything we wanted. So it definitely is a big difference. Um, yeah. So kind of keep it in line with that. So with the family thing, you know, linking into genetics. So a lot of people will kind of put genetics on, on as a crutch. They'll kind of say, oh, you know, my genetics are like this, I can't you know, achieve these kind of goals. So like, what kind of importance do you see that with your practice? And then um, can people overcome their genetics? Obviously we know they can, but like, what are some, yeah. some ways or some examples you've seen? Sure. Yeah. So uh, you, you, you bring up the concept that your DNA is not your destiny, that, that certainly genetics uh, affect your health and affect your, you know, longevity. But we know that epigenetics the science of how your lifestyle, environment, behavior affect that is really um, worth mentioning. So examples of that. So there are genetics related to nutrition, genetics related to how well your body processes the food you eat. So like, um, like the ApoE gene, the ApoE gene, for example, apolipoprotein E is uh, one of many genes that are involved in how your body processes fat, specifically saturated fat. And we know that some people with the APOE4 variant, there's either APOE3, 4, 4, 4, or 3, 3. And anyone that has the 4 variant has an increased risk of, uh, increased risk of early cardiovascular disease and cognitive decline and even Alzheimer's disease. And so you would think that those people are screwed and that there's no hope and that they're going to die young for that reason. However, by simply limiting your intake of saturated fats, that risk goes away, it becomes negligible. By simply understanding that and how your behavior affects it. There are genes related to obesity. You know, the, the FTO gene, people call it the fat gene. It will massively increase your risk of obesity. But by understanding it and by changing the way you eat and how you eat and how you deal with your hunger sensation, you can dramatically affect that. There are a lot of genes related to, to um, micronutrient levels. And by just understanding that, you can overcome that with testing and supplementation where needed. And so it comes down to that we're talking about you know, health optimization. We're not talking about disease model, you know, getting can't can't genetics related to cancer. But that can be affected as well by simply understanding epigenetics and how your behavior on a daily basis can affect that outcome. And so to answer your question, obviously, you know, rhetorical question, yes, your lifestyle could definitely affect genetic expression. Yeah, I know. I think something a lot of people don't re recognize about genetics too is like these genes do have to be switched on and off. So like sometimes, yeah, you may be present with you, but it's not going to be the dominant one that you show. So just because your grandfather had something doesn't mean you're going to, and there's no reason to right. put that like, 
gloomy cap on that is going to happen to me because as you mentioned, your lifestyle plays a huge role into this. If you're a positive outlook on it, you're going to more, more than likely have positive results. So obviously it's not yeah. encompassing for that, but definitely huge. Yeah. Factor. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, uh, my wheelhouse lately has been diabetes. Just they've been finding me and been kind of helping them out. And I, I hear a lot from people that said, Oh, my, my mom or dad had it. So mm -hmm. I just, they just expect it. Yeah. And so I think the big thing is that your mom or dad might've had it, but let, let's look at what they were consuming. Let's look at what their lifestyle was like. Yeah. You start to see that it's a pretty perfect lifestyle for acquiring diabetes. And what did they do? Well, their parents, they passed on those lifestyle traits to their kid uh -huh. And right. the kid picks up the lifestyle trait. So it's, you know, yep. epigenetic kind of thing, but you're, it's almost like an easy escape. Say, well, my parents had it. So I'm, and it's sad because then people expect it. Yeah. And when you show them with just a little bit of effort, really not a lot. I mean, I don't make a ton of changes that you can lower the A1C, you can get it collect corrected. And you know, kind of like what we've been talking about this whole time is, you, and I know you've mentioned it like three or four times, blood sugar regulation. When the blood sugar comes down and it's at a somewhat optimal level, the brain fog goes away. Testosterone probably goes back up because you're not just soaked with sugar. You know, all these things kind of start resolving. Even blood pressure comes down. And so you're at a way reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, all that good stuff, just from the blood sugar regulation. And I know we've touched on it inside. Imagine how important it is for you to see, you see entrepreneurs, <clears throat> um, you know, business guys, athletes, and this is a personal experience of mine, but before pharmacy school, I worked in um, pathology mm -hmm. and I kind of had like a pseudo sales liaison job and we went out to eat. We ate nice dinners a lot. And, you know, entre what entrepreneurs do, we like to drink wine, yeah. you know, eat steaks all the, the steakhouses are amazing. That's like the best food ever. Right. But a lot of that isn't necessarily the best thing that you eat once in a while is all right, but every right. single day. And I mean, I was very heavy when I got to pharmacy school because I was eating like that all the time. It was part of business. Right. And I probably should have gone to some of those restaurants and mixed in a little bit more of a salad at the time or whatever, but it's just, it's very interesting. The people's perception of what's going on and um, how it actually impacts their life. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it comes down to the, the little micro decisions you're making every single day. And, you know, the good news when it comes to epigenetics is that 75% of what happens to you, give or take, is a direct result of your behavior, of your choices that you're making. And so whatever happened, like you said, to your parents, your grandparents, whatever, it, it doesn't necessarily have any impact on you and where you're going to be. You know, we could look at some of the blood work. We do some advanced um, cardiovascular testing. And, and one of the markers we look at is LP little a, which is lipoprotein little a, like an A mm -hmm. with a parenthesis around it. And the reason that marker is important is because there's a lot of genetic basis to it. And that comes from uh, your parents from uh, it's a LDL subtype. And um, it's typically inherited. And when it's elevated, we can actually lower the risk associated with that by lowering the other markers. And so it's just another example of how understanding the data, understanding how it's not a death sentence, 
understand that we can actually impact it, even though it was given to us by our parents, I think is really important. Interesting stuff. So it's Dr. Crucial. Yeah. Yeah. So as we wind down a little bit, do you have a favorite procedure or treatment uh, at the Gappin Institute? Favorite procedure or treatment? Wow. So we do, you know, we call high performance health, meaning that we we're putting all the pieces together. Our, our specialty is advanced diagnostics to find the hidden, I call it hidden blind spots that are holding you back. So I, I think what I would say to answer that question is we have a um, a testing package called Precision Health Diagnostics. And what that is, is, is a massive blood panel. It comes with a microbiome test as well, because I believe, again, how, how important it is to recognize the health of your gut. And we put that together as a, a testing package to help people just find blind spots in their health to find where they are. And then if they want to take it to the next level, we can certainly help you to take it to the next level and, and correct all the issues that we find. But I think it starts with the testing to understand what's holding you back, what's getting in the way. You know, I I, I tell the story a lot, and uh, my team is tired of hearing it, but that's okay. It's so important. Bob Harper is the lead fitness trainer on the TV show The Biggest Loser, and that guy looks awesome. We all you know hope to be as as healthy as he is, but at the age of fifty one, that dude had a heart attack. A couple of years ago, he almost died from a major heart attack. He had a, a widowmaker occlusion, ended up having surgery. And we all thought he was in the best shape of his life. And, and he eats perfectly. He exercises every day. And, and he's a perfect example of how diet and exercise alone are just not enough. They're not the answer. And you need to dig deeper and recognize that there's a lot more going on below the surface than you even recognize. And it's often not your fault. So Dr. Gap, Solid words of wisdom there. Yeah, for sure. So, I think that's a great way to wind it down. So where can our audience get a hold of you if they're looking for yeah. your services or just want to learn more about what you do? Oh, thanks so much. So our website is gapinstitute.com. And um, I have a, a gift for your listeners. I have a free copy of our High Performance Health Handbook. It's a free download with 15 strategies and tactics that you can start leveraging today to have more energy, lose weight, and have better sex. And all your listeners need to do is just text the word health to the number 26786. Again, text HEALTH to 26786, and you'll get a free copy of our High Performance Health Handbook. And you'll also get a free copy of my best-selling book, Mail 2.0. Dang, that's awesome. That is a fantastic. Now, was that the word HELP or HEALTH? HEALTH, H-E-A-L-T-H. Thank you, HEALTH. Perfect, awesome. thank you. We'll definitely, yeah, we'll include that in the description. Um, but Dr. Gappin, it's been a pleasure having you on again. You're welcome anytime. Uh, I feel like we always learn a lot having you on the show and I know Good our time. audience will benefit as well. Hey, you guys are doing great work. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, most powerful tools, the information. <laughs>